Well, good morning again. Good to see you. As the ushers are taking the offering, I'm going to give you a little bit of a roadmap here for us as we are fully into January now, fully into the new year. We want to spend the next two weeks talking with you about an initiative that we believe God is leading us toward as a church so that you might know about it and then prayerfully consider how God wants you to engage with us. We're going to do something a little bit different today. I want to give you uh, what I hope is a joyful examination of the scriptures on a specific subject, which I'll touch on in just a moment. And then I've asked Ryan Keith, our pastor of strategic initiatives, to kind of take the second half of the sermon here uh, and, and be my closer, uh, so it were. I like baseball analogies, so go with me. Uh, so to, to come up and to share with you a little bit more uh, of, the, of the details of how God has been leading and directing and guiding us uh, through this process of discernment. So we're going to do that today and next week, uh, and then we're going to launch from that into a series on the Holy Spirit, uh, and then from there we're going to go into an examination of the life of David. Not that you asked for that roadmap, but that's where we're headed, just so you know. So we're going to look today in the book of Deuteronomy, and we're going to look at Matthew, and I'm going to hit them pretty quickly, but as you're turning there, I'll tell you this. You know that as a church, we have a mission, right? And our mission is to seek the good of the West Shore and beyond for the glory of Christ. And we believe that happens when we become people of deep truth, deep lives, and deep love, right? So we are all about as a church shaping our lives together, both individually and corporately, communally. We want to be shaped to be people who hold deep truth and hold it well, who live lives that have a depth of character. So deep truth, deep lives, and deep love. People who love God first and most and who love our neighbor as ourselves, as God has called us to. And we believe that as we are being shaped into those kinds of people, that God will absolutely transform the city, the place in which we live with the gospel. Amen. We believe that. Now, as with any organization, when you have a mission, you recognize that some of that mission is realized and some of it is aspirational. And those terms may not be familiar to you, but here's what I mean by that. We recognize that there's always a way in which some of the things that we say we want to be and to be about, we're doing them. And we're doing them well. They are realized values for us. Our mission is realized in many ways. But we also recognize that there's always an aspirational aspect. In other words, there's more of our mission to accomplish. Yes, would you agree with that? Amen. There's always something more that we aspire to in walking out and living out who God has called us to be, the mission He's given us. And so some of what we want to talk to you about is some ways that we believe God is calling us to help make things that are aspirational realized in the days ahead, that we would press further into the mission God has given us to seek the good of the West Shore and beyond through deep truth, deep lives, and deep love for the glory of Christ. So we want to talk with you about that a little bit uh, over the next couple weeks and make you aware of it. Now, here's what I wanted to share with you also. I just wanted to give you this report. In terms of like walking out a, realize, a realization of our mission, you remember that we took a uh, an offering at Christmas Eve, and if you're new with us, one of the things we do every Christmas Eve is take, an, take up an offering, not for us, but for ministry partners around the globe who, who have some significant needs. And I just wanted to report back to you, in terms of you guys getting this concept of seeking the good of the West Shore and beyond, that you gave $119,000, just over $119,000, uh, to some really important causes. And so we, I wanted to just say, you, it feels awkward to applaud yourselves, I know because you're the ones that gave. But I will say as your pastor that every Christmas Eve, I always wonder, God, what are you going to do? 
Uh, we try and put it in front of you and just say, okay, and we prayerfully consider what are the things you want us to give to. And then we put it in front of you and we just say, well, what are you going to do? And I'm always blown away by God's generosity through you. Because it is God's generosity, yes? Amen. And he moves his people to, to express that generosity. So what that means is that for the, the Mofrock School in Jordan, who is caring for Syrian refugees, we're able to give $94,000 to them to continue to work to build out more space for refugees to be cared for and educated. It means we're able to give $5,000 to, uh, to the Algerian camps that we support where the Sahrawi refugees live uh, in Algeria. So we're able to give $5,000 to that. And we're able to give 20000 then to the Bosnian church who is caring for refugees flooding out of the Middle East uh, and kind of uh, stopped there on their way to Europe. And so there are a lot of important things that we're able to support because of your generosity. And so I just wanted to, to, just to celebrate that with you and let you know about it. Uh, and I just could not be more thankful for the way you have responded to God's leading in that. So thank you for being faithful in that. So... In terms of this idea of seeking the good of the Western beyond, that's a great demonstration of it. But we want to talk a little bit further about it. And here's what I want to do. Is I recognize that sometimes when we talk about concrete realities of justice, where God calls us to step into caring for vulnerable people and what God calls in his word, seeking justice for those people, that sometimes it can be hard for us to connect the dots between Gospel proclamation, like what, is the, what does it mean to be about the mission of the gospel and sharing with people that they can have life in Christ and in Him alone? What does it look like to do that and marry it well with what the Bible calls justice, the work of seeking vulnerable people's good, the work of caring for them in their hour of need and of seeking to, to create infrastructure and work for their good. And so sometimes it can be hard to connect those dots and I'm only going to, like I said, because Ryan's going to come up and share with us, I'm only going to share about 15 minutes of that. And what I hope is, what I hope is to give you just a clear biblical picture of what it looks like for a church and for us as individuals to be people who very much marry the proclamation of the gospel with the work of justice that the scriptures talk about. Now, if you've ever done like the Bible in a year or the Bible in two years or five years or however long it takes you, uh, if you've ever started reading through the Bible uh, and sort of thought to yourself, like, started paying attention to what are the things that start to jump off the page as you begin to read. You won't get very far through the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You won't get very far in those first five books of the Bible in particular, what we call the Pentateuch. You won't get very far through those before you start to recognize that these terms, justice and righteousness, start occurring a lot. That you start seeing over and over again this theme that God is saying, I want you to be a people, my people, Israel he's talking to in this case, but it gets handed down to us as those who have come to Christ, who is the fulfillment of every promise that God made to Israel, gets handed to us as well, that he wants us to be a people who practice justice and practice righteousness. And we see that again and again. In fact, I can remember when I was young and started reading the Bible kind of cover to cover for the first time in high school, and I started really trying to to do a good job of understanding what is the message of all of the Bible, not just sort of the little tidbits that I picked up here and there in Sunday school classes, but what is the message of the Bible from beginning to end? I remember beginning to think, like, I don't know that anyone ever talked to me about this idea that God keeps saying over and over again this theme of you are to be a people who practice justice and practice righteousness. And in particular, the thing that I found was that as God called for this idea of justice, the thing that he called for, the thing that he seemed to, to hinge that around 
was that justice looked like caring for vulnerable people. Hmm. That justice looked like caring for vulnerable people. And in particular, in the Old Testament, he talks about widows and orphans and sojourners or immigrants, essentially. He talks about those three types of people. And he doesn't mean to limit vulnerable people, that category, to just those three types of people. But they are an expression of people who in that day and in that time and in that age, and I would argue still in ours, are incredibly vulnerable because they have very few advocates. The widow, the orphan, and the sojourner in the land. They don't often have legal protection or rights or things that others have. And so God says, I want you to care for them. And I want you to be a people who protect them because they are vulnerable. Here's what I want to do for you today. I want to see if we can't answer one simple question about that theme that we see kind of moving through the scriptures. And you'll see how it relates to the initiative uh, in this realm of foster care that we're going to introduce to you today. The question I want to ask simply is this, is what is the connection? Why is it imperative for gospel proclamation? In other words, for telling people that Jesus is king and that you can have life in him and in him alone. Why is it so imperative for gospel proclamation to seek the good of vulnerable people? Why must those two things always go hand in hand and never be separated? Why is it that God seems so dead set upon always pairing those things and never pulling them out as two separate things, but often wanting to do them together in unison? So that's the question. Why is it essential for gospel witness to care for vulnerable people? Not just a good idea, but critical. <coughs> now in that question, here's what I want you to understand. The thing that you should recognize is that the question understands, just by the nature of asking that question, the thing we are presuming is that gospel proclamation, the declaration that, that people need to be reborn in Christ, that we are spiritually dead and need to be made alive in Christ, that that is God's highest priority. That that for God, that, that we would tell people the good news that Jesus Christ has been crucified and resurrected, He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and that if they would place their faith in Him, they could have eternal life. That that is God's primary objective in this world, that people would come to a saving knowledge of God in Jesus Christ, be reconciled to Him relationally. But that in order to do that well, in order to do that well, we have to also be about caring for vulnerable people. And I'll share with you why I think that's the case, why those two things must go hand in hand. So the first one, the first one then is the first reason, I'm just going to give you two today, is because God isn't just saving individuals through gospel proclamation. He is establishing a kingdom of justice and righteousness. Because God isn't just saving individuals, he is establishing a kingdom of justice and righteousness. Now, as I just said, the reconciliation of people to God is God's pinnacle kingdom work, but it is not God's only kingdom work. He is establishing, he is establishing a world where his rule and reign are pervasive in every area of life, in government, in legislation, in the way we relate relationally to one another, that God is about more than just saving individuals to pluck them out of the world and take them into heaven. But as we see time and time again in the scriptures, that God is about establishing his rule and his reign on the earth so that everything becomes the way he wants it to be. That's what we call the establishment of his kingdom 
in the world. And he calls us to participate with him. It's why in Matthew 6, when he teaches his disciples, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, he teaches them to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is not meant to be a prayer that we simply go, well, that's a nice thing that will happen when Jesus returns. It will happen when Jesus returns in all its fullness, but he is motivating us to pray for that so that we will be participants in seeing his kingdom come to the, into the world. Do you believe that? Amen. That he is inviting us to bring his kingdom, to usher in his kingdom in all that we do, and to not have a defeatist attitude which says, I know it will never fully be established until Jesus rules and reigns on the earth and returns and makes all things right. We know that will transpire. But far from being defeatist, the church should be a people who say, we want to usher in an, a kingdom ethic into everything that we do and everywhere we go. Into my workplace, I want to see a kingdom, Jesus ruling and reigning ethic demonstrated in my workplace. I want to see it in my family and in my home. I want to see it in the government and the country in which I live. I want to see it in every sphere of society as much as possible. I will press forward into that. And so he has told us, I am not just saving individuals. My pinnacle work, yes, saving people, reconciling to the Father. But also with that comes the kingdom work of declaring we want to usher in the rule and reign of Jesus into every sphere of society. Now, for some of you who are not followers of Jesus, I know that that sounds scary. It sounds triumphalistic. It sounds like we're saying as a church, we want to take over the world. Uh, what we're saying is not we want to take over the world because Jesus already owns the world. We should let you know that. He's already in charge. We simply want to see his ethic of love and justice and mercy and righteousness and grace. We want to see that in every area of life. We want to bring that about. And it's a kingdom of peace, right? It's a kingdom that if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you would come into that kingdom, you are, well, one, you're invited into it, Right? you're invited into it. But two, it's, it's, a, it's not a, a kingdom of conquering, right? It's a kingdom of, of Jesus coming and ruling and reigning, and you will find that, that it creates thriving and flourishing for all who come into this kingdom. It's so good. It's so rich. Now, so God invites us to participate in all aspects of that. And here's the thing. Here's why gospel proclamation and that kingdom, like building the kingdom in every sphere of society, why it's so imperative is this. There's always something hollow about gospel proclamation that cares nothing about the problems of this world. There's always something hollow about that. And by the way, men and women, if you're a little older, right, the thing you need to recognize is the rising generation will not listen to a gospel that does not care for the real problems of the world. They're tired of hearing something that's just about that in the future and not about what will happen now, and both are necessary, but the rising generation, in order to pass the, the precious truth of the gospel to the next generation, to see it take root, we have to recognize these things must go together. Because there's always something hollow about gospel proclamation that cares nothing about the problems of the world. But at the same time, there is something so short-sighted and non-God-centered about justice work that has no interest in gospel proclamation. Justice work that cares nothing about the reconciliation of people, the bringing them out of spiritual death and into spiritual life and being reconciled to God the Father. Justice work that just simply seeks to feed a mouth or care for a person is so short-sighted. And we don't want to be short-sighted. So how do we know what God's kingdom looks like? Is caring for vulnerable people part of it? And 
So I've, I'm arguing that God calls gospel proclamation to go hand in hand with justice and righteousness, kingdom work. And the question is, okay, we're saying that that looks like caring for vulnerable people. And you might ask the question, then, well, are we sure that's a part of it? Is caring for vulnerable people really part of it? And I want to point you to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 through 19. And we could go through, this is the law of God. And there's something really important about the fact that in God's law, in the Old Testament... He outlines something to say, this is so imperative that I'm going to create an infrastructure through the law that I write for my people Israel about how they're supposed to live and behave. It's so important to me that I'm going to, I'm going to institute it in a formalized way in the law. And we see it again and again in Deuteronomy. This is just one of the first occurrences. But in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 through 19, it says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great the mighty and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Now here's the thing. When we look at the law in the Old Testament, we look to the law to see the nature of a holy God. And it does two things for us. In the New Testament, in the book of Galatians, Paul tells us that when we look at the law, we recognize that a God this holy, there's no way we could ever keep his law perfectly. And therefore, we recognize we need someone to do it for us. We need a Savior. But the other thing that looking at the nature of God written into his law does for us is it tells us what it will be like when he finally brings his kingdom in all its fullness. That we see in this law, when he says, I want you to care for widows and orphans. I want you to love the sojourner. What he's saying is, when my kingdom comes, understand that these vulnerable people will be provided for, protected, and they will be loved. Did you see that in there? Hmm. Don't, just, don't just provide for, but love the sojourner. Care for the widow. Care for the orphan, hmm. these vulnerable people. And then he gives a really important thing. He says, for you, Israel, were what? sojourners in the land of Egypt. Now, if you don't know your biblical history, they were slaves and sojourners in a foreign land. And God said, because that was your experience and I brought you out of that, now what should be in your heart is a care for sojourners, is a love for people who have no protection, who are vulnerable. You should have in your heart a space for them. In other words, when you see, when you see the vulnerable person, you should see yourself. When you see the vulnerable person, you should see yourself because that's what God saw when he looked at you. He saw that you were vulnerable and he did something about it by sending his son into the world. And when I recognized that I was vulnerable and God protected me through sending his son and him laying down his life, then what is meant to transform my heart then is a, a revelation that I cannot look at the vulnerable person and not see me anymore. That when I look at the vulnerable person, that's exactly who I see is myself. Because that's exactly what I was. Perhaps not in an earthly way. But all of us were vulnerable to sin and death. And God did something about it. You with me? Now the next thing. Fast forward in the New Testament. Because I've already stolen some of Ryan's time. Sorry, buddy. It's cool, man. I was ready for that. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that, but he just said I was ready for that. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> Second thing, because the gospel-believing heart will always be moved by the plight of the vulnerable. 
The gospel-believing heart will always be moved by the plight of the vulnerable. Now, fast forward, perhaps you might say, well, that's Old Testament law. We're in the New Testament now. We're under the new covenant. Jesus come. But listen to what Jesus himself taught us in Matthew chapter 25. One of the most challenging texts, in my opinion, in the New Testament. Verse 31, I'm going to read just nine verses here. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, this is Jesus talking about himself coming back, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now he goes on in the second half of, of the story he's telling to say that those who did not do that are then put on his left as the goats. And they say, when did we not do it? He said, when you didn't do it to one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. And here's the challenge of that passage. You could read that and you could think that what Jesus is teaching is our salvation depends upon whether or not we do justice work. Mm. Whether or not we do this kind of kingdom protecting of the vulnerable type of work. Mm. But that's not what's transpiring. Because we have to put that together with all of the teaching of the New Testament. What we know is we're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace through faith. So then what is Jesus doing here? What he's doing is he's saying the transformation that takes place in a gospel-believing heart is so profound that it causes you to care for the vulnerable. Mm. So much so that he can say in this text that if I don't care for the vulnerable, I don't have a gospel-believing heart. If I don't care for the vulnerable, I do not have a gospel-believing heart. I don't know what other message to get from the text I just read to you. We're not saved by our works. But if our heart has not been infected with a love for vulnerable people, with the desire to protect and come alongside and provide for, if that has not transpired in my heart, then I do not have a gospel-believing heart. That seems to be the message of Matthew chapter 25. And here's the most, the most shocking thing is not the challenge of, of, the most shocking thing about that text is not the challenge of trying to think through Okay, well, what does this mean about salvation by works or by grace? That's, not, that's pretty easily explained. Hopefully I did a decent job just then. Do you know the most challenging, the most shocking thing about this? Is that Jesus identifies himself as the vulnerable. When he says, as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. In other words, if the first passage teaches me that when I see a vulnerable person, I am to see me, then the second passage teaches me that when I see a vulnerable person, I am to see Jesus who reigned on high in all power and glory, but became vulnerable so that when I was vulnerable to sin and death, through his vulnerability, he saved me. Hmm. So that when I see the vulnerable, I don't just see someone in need. I see him choosing to become vulnerable so that I might be made whole and right hmm. with God. The reason gospel proclamation cannot be separated from the work of, of bringing the kingdom and justice for the vulnerable, the reason that that has to be arm in arm, right, is that if, if I, have a, I need a gospel-believing heart 
to proclaim the gospel. Would you agree with that? And if I don't care for the vulnerable, I don't have a gospel-believing heart. So my proclamation will be ineffective, unhelpful, hmm. not useful. That's the message that the scriptures are giving to us. Hmm. So now, we want to tell you a little bit more. Let me invite Ryan up. We want, to invite, we want to tell you a little bit more about kind of our process over the last couple of years and get a little bit more nuts and bolts about what we've been up to and what we're just inviting you to prayerfully consider being a part of. So again, I stole too much time from him. It's cool, man. So I appreciate you, brother. I can do one inning, not three. That's fine. Okay. No, I got to unmute know, myself. We Here we go. Well, good morning. Um, as Trent said, my name is Ryan Keith, and I've joined our staff in July as our pastor of Strategic Initiatives. I'm excited to be with you this morning. Not only is, does God have a heart for the vulnerable, that I want to tell you this morning about how we can step into the vulnerable among us uh, here in central Pennsylvania. And um, one thing I've learned from working with vulnerable people over the last 20 years, and some of you know that I was a missionary in Africa, one of the things I've learned is that someone always finds vulnerable children. Someone always finds vulnerable people. So even if we believe that what Trent has said is true, and it is, um, someone always finds vulnerable children and people, and so someone is either offering life or death. Like our inaction is an action. Someone is going to fill that void if we do nothing. So it's not just to say, yes, we believe, Trent, what you said is true, but we will sit on the sidelines because someone is going to find those vulnerable people and they will whisper something in their ear that is not true. The people that are vulnerable around us were made in the image of God and it is our unique opportunity to go out and usher in hope and usher in truth and whisper into their ears that the God who created the heavens and the earth loves them and died for them too. There's this church that I've shown you in Malawi. I've shown you this picture before, but I just show it to you again because the folks on the left bring in about $2 a week in tithes and offerings, the folks in the middle about a dollar, and the folks on the right about 50 cents. And every Sunday, these churches gather together and pray for two or three hours of what God would have them do with the offerings that they have been given to meet the needs of the vulnerable. And I show you this image as a reminder that it's not about what you have in time or money. The question is, do you believe that God's word is true? There's no economic cutoff where you're off the hook. God's word is true and it rings and reigns all over the earth. And the question we have to ask this morning is, do we believe that to be true? How does this apply to here in central Pennsylvania? As Trent shared our mission is seeking the good of the West Shore and beyond through deep truths, deep lives, and deep love for the glory of Christ. And Trent, a couple years ago in 2016, approached me and said, I have this idea of something called City Team. And the idea is simply to go out and see and listen to our neighbors. Who are the vulnerable among us? And what can we learn from them as we seek the good of the West Shore and beyond for the glory of Christ? How can that play out in our lives as a local church? And so he asked me to help him form and lead this group called City Team as a volunteer. And, and this is what this means, the West Shore and beyond, in terms of how we understood that and how we defined that. What we did is we looked at wherever you all live or work. So certainly we care about the beyond, like around the world. Um, but how does this play out in central Pennsylvania? And so we define it as wherever you all live or work. 
and then to understand what are the needs and how do you get at what does it mean to seek the good of the West Shore and beyond, who do we need to talk to? Uh, we chose five sectors of people to uh, meet with. These are folks from education, marketplace or business, uh, healthcare, government, and law enforcement. And so what we did is we sought out to have conversations with people serving and leading and living in those sectors. And so we asked people in our church, um, several of you were part of that, there were about 15 of us, and 15 of us went on an adventure. And every month, people were charged that had signed up for the city team, we were charged to have one or two interviews with folks in our sector. So people in our sector, and we'd have questions and have conversations with them. And then every month, for a year, these people would come together and share what they had heard. What are the themes that they heard from the people they had had conversations with? And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. And we thought it would take a year, and it ended up being 18 months of conversations. Of just trying to discern what does God have for us as we seek the good of the West Shore and beyond for the glory of Christ. And so just a little bit more about our process. What we did is we planned some questions and a process in 2016. And we asked questions like we agreed to all ask basically some version of what challenges are you facing in your sector? Or another, put another way is what do you worry about? And another question that we asked is what are unrealized opportunities? Or said a different way, what do you dream about? And then if you could do anything, what would you do? What could our church do to help you respond to these challenges or unrealized opportunities? And our goal with City Team was to honor the people that we talked to. Because whether they knew the Lord yet or not, we recognized that they were made in the image of God. And so how we came to them humbly just to listen and learn and not bring ideas, but just see how is God at work in them and through them as God seeks the good of our region as well. And so um, we had these conversations. In fact, we had 250 conversations and more. And then Trent and I met with about 20 churches in our area just to see what God was birthing in their hearts as well. And then out of that came 55 observations, which isn't incredibly helpful for clarity. Um, and so I'd like to right now, because you have nothing else to do, the Cowboys are out of the playoffs, I'd like to go line by line just kidding. I'm going to give you four quotes that stand out uh, from our conversations. The first one is, kids are just so alone. Parents are so overwhelmed. There are too many children going home on weekends without food. I can't get to work. I have a job, but I can't keep it because I can't get to work reliably. Student mental health referrals have increased above capacity to support through normal school channels. Kids are depressed and lonely and anxious. What are we going to do about that? In the end, we ultimately landed from 55 to 8, and we boiled it down to 3 that were interrelated. And they all uh, formed to, to look at the need to strengthen vulnerable families in our community, particularly around mentoring and transportation. And families are vulnerable because of drug addiction, loneliness, unhealthy support, shame, homelessness. These are some of the things that we, that we heard. And honestly, I thought that that was it. We had worked really hard for 18 months. Um, we met with the church staff, and I presented to our, our staff here at the church, and I thought that my work was done. 
Um, but Trent and the leadership had other ideas, and they came back to me as a volunteer, and they said, we believe that God's calling you to leave Forgotten Voices and come here to be a pastor at our church. And I said, that's interesting. Uh, and, and I prayed about it, and with my wife, Katie and I, um, she and I prayed about it with some close friends, and we ultimately decided that was true. We did believe that God was calling us here because after 14 or 15 years of working with vulnerable children and vulnerable families in Southern Africa, Katie and I really felt like God was leading us and calling us here to serve at our church and help us discover as a church, how can we walk alongside the vulnerable among our community? It was a different city on the same road that God had been leading us down. And so with me coming on board, of course, what I do, I had more questions. And so some of the questions that I asked, started asking our, our team is, who are the churches and organizations already at work with vulnerable children and families? So if we believe that this was the central idea, who are the organizations and churches already working in this field, and what can we learn from them? And then the other thing is, how has God been at work in them and in us? How is God leading us? What are the gifts and experiences we have as a church? What are the unrealized opportunities what are the gaps that we can uniquely fill because of how God has equipped us? So we kept asking more questions. And since July, and coming on staff in July, I've met with um, over 30 new churches in the area and just trying to ask, what are they doing to help vulnerable children? What are they sensing God's leading them to? And, and what might we learn from thematic calling from all the churches in our area? And just beginning to have facilitated conversation with churches in our region. And then we've met with 30 organizations and, and ministries that are working specifically with vulnerable children. And I just want to say as your pastor, I'm really thankful. Because no matter which organization I went to, almost inevitably, someone would say, your people serve in our ministry. Uh, you all are serving in 50 different organizations, 30 of them regularly. And that is just awesome. You all are busy. And it's no surprise no surprise, uh, recently the Barna Group, you might not be able to see all of that, but this is what it says. The Harrisburg, Lancaster, York, uh, Lebanon area was ranked the number one region in the country for service. Okay? So you all are busy, but one of the things, and I am just so proud of the work that you all are doing to care for the vulnerable among us. But I would also be remiss if I didn't tell you that one of the things that I heard from almost every organization can be summarized in this statement. We are thankful for your church's efforts, but we consistently can't get people to be committed to deep, lasting relationships. People are so busy, but change takes time. So one of the things they noted was that we're really busy and we're helping vulnerable people. We're in, we're out, we're serving in soup kitchens, but we're not sitting with the residents. You know, we're, we're dropping off clothing at the homeless shelter, but we're not sitting and getting to know and investing in a mom. So we knew that whatever strategic initiative we were going to take on had to help us grow in this area of deep, committed, lasting relationships. And we also knew that God had called us already to pursue these values, to know God as he is, to be rather than appear to be, to be sent with the gospel, to sacrifice for one another, to engage across generations. We knew that whatever initiative God was going to call us to was going to absolutely have us grow in these things. And so ultimately, how we came down to this is, uh, is like, imagine a funnel. That it wasn't like this clear engineered process, 
but it's these components all put together and mixed around in a funnel. You know, we did these interviews with churches and individuals and organizations. We did a SWOT analysis, which is strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, and we looked at tons of public policy data. Tons, like too many. Uh, and that's my background, public policy. And so we looked at tons of data, and then we overlaid, of course, our five values, and then through it all, we looked at the Holy Spirit, of course. We listened to the Holy Spirit throughout the whole process, and we prayed just so faithfully. And ultimately, before we made our pick, we knew that, we knew that the Holy Spirit had to be the final filter. And so I'm pleased to share with you this morning that we believe that God's calling us into a strategic initiative, our first one, of what I hope are many in the years to come. But a strategic initiative that's going to require everyone to do something. Everyone to consider how God is leading them to be part of this. Our staff, our congregation, your friends, your neighbors, everyone can do something. And the strategic initiative we're going to focus on is the foster care crisis facing central Pennsylvania. And you might be saying, foster care crisis? What do you mean? I didn't even know what foster care was, let alone that there's a crisis. We're going to look at that next week, and we're going to explore what this is, what it is, why it's a crisis, and how we can help. But let me just share one thing with you. There's a growing need for foster families in our community. Just since 2015, there's been an increase of about 400 foster care placements just since 2015. Just to keep up with pace of the number of children that are entering and are being removed from their home from unsafe environments, just to keep pace, our region needs to produce about 100 new foster families in the next year. Just to keep pace. And that doesn't ignore the reality of this. One of the things that's not on this chart is that there are more children from our area, including Cumberland County, that are being sent away because there's not enough safe and stable homes here. So they're being sent far away from where they live and what they know because there aren't enough families being willing to support these kids. We're going to talk about this more next week, but I want to give you just a hint as you begin praying about what God would have you do. Our vision uh, for this foster care initiative is to have more waiting and equipped foster families than there are waiting and vulnerable children. Every child, teen, and family will have an adult in their life ready to offer a safe, stable, and loving support team for as long as is needed. And you might be saying, that might be a Harrisburg thing, or a York thing, or a Chambersburg thing. Let me just show you this. This is the percentage increase since 2015 of the number of places, placements that have occurred. And we're going to look at why this is occurring if you think this isn't where you live, the vulnerable people are there. Vulnerable children are there. And as I said before, someone always finds vulnerable children. They're not alone very long. Someone always finds vulnerable children. Let it be us. And where there are vulnerable, because we are vulnerable too, where there are vulnerable, God's church is always there. Because it's hard, God's church must be there. And God has already placed you there. This is where you all live. Where the needs are, you have already been placed there. And the question is, now what are we going to do? God is at work through you. God is at work through us. But let me just say this. I'm good. 
there's this couple. I heard this story once. There's this couple, right? They're at their honeymoon. They're at their honeymoon, and they're having a magical time, and one night they're was like, you know, getting to be darker and still a little light out, and they see this pier. They see this pier, and, and it looks into the water, and it looks so inviting, and some local people saw them looking at this pier, and they said, you should jump in. The water's awesome. You will never forget that. And so they started to walk down the pier, and some other people came up, and they're like, yeah, are you going to jump in? This, is, this water's awesome. You should totally do this. And so they walked down to the end, and there's some more people came. There's like a whole crowd. They're saying, you should totally do this. This is your honeymoon. Jump in. You'll never forget it. And so they jumped in, and it was very memorable. Why? Because they didn't know how to swim. And they start flailing around. They look back, and everyone's gone. We're not calling you in to foster care and join in this initiative without teaching you how to swim and being with you for a long time. So this strategic initiative and the strategic initiatives that come as long as I'm here are going to involve three words. Convene, train, and launch. We're going to convene you to listen and learn from Scripture, experience, and the Holy Spirit. We're going to convene you like we are right now. What does God's Word say? What is He leading us into? And then we're going to train you up to be rooted in justice and righteousness together as a perfect expression of the gospel. One without the other is just false. So we're going to train you up to be rooted in justice and righteousness. And then we're going to launch you out to live out our mission and embody our values. And we're not saying just good luck and goodbye and have fun. We're going to bring you back together because it's going to be hard. We're going to learn new things. We're going to stretch. We're going to grow. God's going to stretch us and grow our hearts. And it's going to be awesome. Control, I mean convene, train, and launch. Convene, train, and launch. God is moving among us. He is calling us into this. And next week, we're going to look at the foster care crisis again, what it is, why it's a crisis, and how we can help. There's lots of big ways and small ways that people can help. But God is moving. And I just want you to meet one guy, and hear just very briefly from one guy, of what, he, what God has taught him. And this guy, is, he's, wanted, he's such a humble guy, and he just didn't want it all to be considered a hero. But I want you to know that the hero is the Lord moving through his willing heart. It was me, it was this guy saying, I want to be used by God and say yes. And this is just some of what happened. So we could play that video. It'd be awesome. We had an experience with the young guy, and we only had him for a day. And when the uh, foster people came to get him, he reached out for me. And I said, after this was over, I said to her, I don't know if I can handle this. I don't know if I can handle the emotion. There's been a lot of growth and a lot of empathy for these kids. Uh, I was a high school guidance counselor for 30 years, and I thought I had dealt with a lot, and I had, but the situation that these kids are coming from, once one came here in the morning not knowing where they were going to be that night, and it, it just, it, it took my heart to a whole nother level, and uh, 
just grown in my my understanding and desire to help these families, and it's very moving. Everyone can do something. God is moving. God is moving. Someone always finds vulnerable children. Someone always finds vulnerable people. Let it be us. Let it be us.